Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And my name is Ben Bolin. Ben, I'm excited about today's topic. I really am. I know you are, sir. And what... First, I guess we should tell the listeners, and you know this already, mm. I, I have a dancer's body, so I'm able to get in and out of uh, sports cars very simply, very easily. It's amazing. You're the only person that I have met who can do that slide through the window trick in real life. A dancer's body. Can you believe that? That's funny. <laughs> that, quite the opposite anyways. But, uh, you know, honestly, this is one of my favorite cars of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Porsche 917 or 917. We'll just call it 917. Make it easy. Um, but this, to me kind of epitomizes exactly what a race car should be. Which is, you are not alone in that opinion. I, I don't think so. No, I, mean, I don't think so. I, I think there's a lot of people that are, that are kind of cult fans of this car. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a lot of them are older, of course. Sure. You know, there's not probably not a lot of younger listeners that maybe even know about it. I don't know. But still, regardless of who knows or does not know about it, you can't really argue that the Porsche 917 is one of the most successful and famous race cars. Oh, that's undeniable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's no way around it. I mean, it just – it simply is. And mm. here's the thing is that you know, this is 42 years later, I guess, 42 years, I think. Yeah, because like 1969. Debuted somewhere around 1969, uh-huh. I think it was. And uh, you know what? It de- debuted at the Geneva – Motor mm-hmm. show. Um, it, it still stands as, it's just one of the most, well, even at the time, I guess, at the time it was one of the most powerful sports cars ever made. It was, um, it raced in a series called the World Sports Car Championship and it just outright dominated the series for two years, so much so that they ended up changing rules. Yes, yes. Now, this thing has a air-cooled 12-cylinder engine. Yeah, a flat 12, which is uh, yeah, really horizontal. Unique. And, uh, its crankshaft is what made it, uh, designated as a 180 degree V engine. Oh, cool. Is what, is, is what I've got here. Now that's, mm-hmm. we're talking 520 horsepower mm-hmm. and we're talking a cubic capacity of 4.5 liters. Mm-hmm. And 
It's made out of aluminum, which I did not know. Yeah, here's the crazy part about this. This thing, this thing from the very beginning, this is like in the late 60s, right? Yeah. Porsche had three cars that they were championing in, in the series. And, you know, it, they went from the 904 to 907 to 908. Mm-hmm. And the 908s were successful. You yeah. Know, very successful. Not, not, uh, not outstanding by any means, but they were, they were successful. Um, this developed as kind of like a, a secret project from uh, right from the top, right from the headquarters, it said, yeah. we want to create a uh, a works car, which is, you know, like their racing division, mm-hmm. a works car that is, um, it, it takes advantage of all the, the recent rules. And the recent rules allowed up to, I believe it's a five liter engine. Yes. And um, now no turbos or anything like that. But uh, again, this is a flat 12 air cooled engine, huge horsepower, mm-hmm. um, built relatively secretively until it was, you know, sprung on the public in what was it what do you say, nineteen sixty nine. Okay, at this motor show. Mm-hmm. Um and it wasn't until I don't know, mid season in the uh let's see, nineteen sixty nine series, uh you know, the the whole group of the World Sports Car Racing series, that uh it was about the sixth race when nine seventeen it finally appeared. Mm-hmm. So it was mid season in nineteen sixty nine. By nineteen seventy this thing was just dominating everything. We'll talk about numbers later because we'll get to uh, you know the number of, of wins that this thing took. Oh yeah, but yeah. Um, it, it's it's really remarkable. And there's a really cool photo if you want to see the the very first 917s, mm-hmm. which had kind of a long tail. Um, you can see 25 cars that were built um, to be inspected by the FIA, which is the sanctioning body. And you got the photo right there in your hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, very cool. There's there's one where they're all lined up. Uh, they go off into the distance, almost where you can't see. You can't discern, you know, one car from the next. Right, right. A very cool shot. And uh, that, was, that was them uh, lined up in, uh, what was the name of that place? Zuffenhausen, I think, something like that? Uh, yes, yes, um, yes. But the FIA had to inspect them. So they're all lined up for inspection in that photo. It's really impressive. And they were all the German racing white cars. Uh, the Germ- Germany at the point at that point had used the traditional racing color, you know, Teams had their own colors, right, and, right. and countries had their own colors in the series, and they were all uh, a, a typical traditional uh, racing white color, and they might have had a green trim to them. Mm-hmm. And later, you know, that gives way to the martini cars that we're probably familiar with, you know, that, that had martini paint on the side. Yes. Um, also, the golf cars, which are some of my favorite ones, with the uh, the blue and orange, you know, the light blue and orange design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that's that. Classic. That's a great looking livery. I, I think it's uh, probably. To me, it's one of the best-looking type. I would paint my Monte Carlo that color. You know, I think there are some websites out there that show uh, golf-painted cars of all types. You know, people have yeah, done that yeah. to Volkswagens. They've uh-huh. done it to, um, you know, Monte Carlo, whatever it happens to be, uh, Lamborghini, whatever it is. But uh, some look great. Some look really horrible. Some look a little bit more homemade than others. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You can well, tell how they tape the stripes. I and, wonder how much that has to do with it versus just the body shape and, and you know, the design. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think like, what would my car look like painted like that? I think, I think personally it would look cool, but it might look horrible. I think it would look pretty cool. It, I think it, it'd be kind of scary to do something like that though, you know? Cause yeah. I mean, you're talking about painting it a, uh, I don't know, the real, real light blue mm-hmm. and orange. Um, plus, I don't know, you might, you know, set yourself up for some ridicule on the streets, I think, if it didn't perform like a race car. Here's the thing, too, man. When you're painting a vehicle like that, when you're painting a vehicle in any sort of design, it's kind of like when people get a new haircut. Mm. You know how it'll look in your head. You can imagine <laughs> it several different ways, but you never really know until you're past the point of no return. Very good. Very good. So, yeah, that's uh, that's right. That's what kept hey, me. Hey, you know, one, th- one thing yeah. that we should mention about this right up front here is mm-hmm. that um, the driver's – 
didn't like this car initially. Yes, yes, because the when it came out in 1969, now we are a family-friendly podcast, so let's just emphasize again, when this came out mid-season, it came out like a bat out of heck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the drivers were not as receptive as you would imagine because now we look back on this car. It's been rated the greatest sports car of all time by um, – let's see, by – well, you know what? By just about everybody. Yeah. The motoring press. Let's just right. say the motoring press. The press at large. Yeah. But when it first came out, uh, again in 1969, there were a lot of drivers who didn't want it. Didn't want it because of handling problems. Yeah. You know what? Drivers – now, remember, this is the top sports car racing series. And, creme and de la creme. They're used yeah. to racing Porsches, okay? They're, mm-hmm. they're afraid of this car. They're yes. afraid of the 917 because, number one – it's it's blisteringly fast. Right. It's it's ridiculously fast. I mean it's it's the top end sports car at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh number two, um it was extremely uh light uh in the rear end, I guess is the way you'd say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh they said that, you know, it felt as if you were barely on the ground when you're at speed in this car. And that is a bad, bad feeling to have when you're in a race car. You want to be solidly mm-hmm. planted on the ground. And uh, you want you want to be sure that you have traction at all times. And at top speed, they were feeling like the back end was wavering around. Actually, it was ra- wavering around. Yeah. Um, the design had a flaw in it initially. They mm-hmm. they massaged that for the 1970 season. And by the time – actually, you know what? In the 1969 season, they massaged it because they wanted to get the driver's confidence back up in the car. Right. And for an example of this, uh, this is uh, not on the 1969 race, but the driver uh, Joe Siffert. Um, repeatedly refused to drive the 917 um, for those handling reasons. And he actually, when he, let's see, he was in the, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher the German here, Scott. That's all right. Ostreichring? Reichring? Yeah, sure. Oh, goodness gracious. I apologize. <laughs> but uh, he actually chose to drive a 3.0 liter, the Porsche 908, uh-huh. over the uh, 917, even though, again, it's a more powerful engine. And he thought uh, – let's see. And his plan was that he would score better lap times. Mm-hmm. And it turned out, uh, from what I understand, that uh, he was persuaded to drive it by his boss, Ferdinand Pike, Peach, who, Peach, Peach yeah. who literally begged him. And, and literally, he said, as a personal favor to me, yeah. will you drive this even though I know it has problems? Here's the chairman of the company saying, yeah. please get the name out there. We need the, we need this publicity. Yeah. Now, here's the, the funny thing about this is you mentioned that here's an experienced driver that said, I, I'd rather go back to the older version of the mm-hmm. car, even though it's lighter. Uh, I'm sorry, less less powered, um, and I feel like I have more confidence in the car. They didn't have confidence in the car, and that was the big thing. Now, even for 1960s standards, which you know, race car drivers and they look back at the cars of the 60s, they said how dangerous they were, right? Right. Yeah. This this was like at the time probably one of the more dangerous of those cars, even mm-hmm. uh, because of the speeds, because of the handling, lack and, of safety regulations. Exactly, lack of safety and. and your toes, apparently, your feet were in front of the front axle in this car. I, so you were, you were, you know, you're, you're touching the pedals. Your feet are getting kind of, they said, tangled up a little bit in the, in the metal work for the body. 
of this thing. Not cool. No, that's not good. And, you know, because it goes down to an extreme point at the front end. Yes. Um, your toes are getting a little caught up in there. Your your feet or your legs are in front of the front axle. Mm-hmm. Um, terribly, terribly dangerous car to drive. And we're talking that uh, about a car that eventually went about 246 miles per hour on the Le Mans uh, Mulsanne Strait. Mm-hmm. So that's an incredibly fast car to have your in your body pretty much right in front of this thing. Um, Do you want to talk about some of the races? Well, yeah, you know the the point though. I mean, yeah. I guess to, to get beyond all this before we do that is that you know often you had sec- early in the 1969 series, you know, late in the season, I guess um, you had second string drivers that were driving the 917 or 917 because the the ones that were um more accomplished the the, the, uh, first, the first string the first stringers uh they would say you know I, I want the 908 instead yes so you got this really weird mix of you know here's the latest technology and maybe our second string driver not our not our primary driver and it seems counterintuitive until you think about it if you were already at the top if you're a first string driver mm-hmm. then you want you understand that consistency is part of the winning formula. Mm-hmm. So you want a vehicle that you know, preferably inside and out. And with the 917 coming out, there are, if you place yourself back in that time, there are a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. And some of the things, as opposed, some of the things 917 does, as opposed to 908 are, you know, frightening and, and rightly so. I mean, I would personally not want to be worried about handling when I'm going around a curve at half that speed. No, no. And there's one, you know, the Mulsanne straight that I mentioned at yeah. uh, 246 is, you know, this is a long, long straight in, in Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Uh, really long. I don't know the, the mileage on this thing, but it's, it's, that's, that's it. It's, it's, there's mileage in, in this thing. I don't know if it's three miles or what it is, but it's a straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a turn at the end of that that's a real fast turn. It's just kind of a little hook turn to the right. Yeah. Um, they're hitting that at close to 200 miles per hour. Now other cars are still flat out in the two. two I'm sorry, in the nine seventeen, they're having to let off a bit yeah. to make that turn. But you know, you're talking two hundred plus miles an hour. You got to make a, a right hand turn um, <laughs> on a, on a road course. Now this is the, again, you got to have confidence in your car, and and mm-hmm. this is one of those fantastic cars. If you watch uh, some in car footage of the nine seventeen in action, because you can find you know full laps of the of the Le Mans course, you can find other laps of like Laguna Seca where they take them out for historic events. Um, these cars are are ridiculously fast to the point where you know they sound great. First of all, you know it's yeah. a beautiful sound. I think yeah. uh, from in, inside the the cockpit because the the engine's right behind your head. Um, beautiful sound, but. It's scary fast, and it looks like the footage is sped up, but it's not. And mm-hmm. it, the way it hunts down and passes other, you know, racing Porsches and other other vehicle, other Ferraris, yeah, it's 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 catching them, passing them like they're standing still. Interesting side note too. Now that you bring up Ferrari, and I'm glad you did because I wanted to mention this. We talk about the secrecy um, in '68 mm-hmm. when they started really getting down to nuts and bolts of this yeah. thing. Enzo Ferrari, when he heard about the air cooled engine, mm-hmm. flat out did not believe it. Didn't think it was possible. He huh? well, he didn't. I, he certainly didn't think they had done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and there's something to that in that you know w- the part with uh, with Volkswagen. Uh, because it, you know, Volkswagen and Porsche have this, this intimate, close mm-hmm. relationship. And, uh, you know, so, there's something about that. I, I, I caught a note somewhere, but I'll oh. have to, I apologize for not having to look it up. But, um, one of the things that they wanted to do was make sure that it was air cooled so that it kind of kept that, uh, that line of parts going. You know, that mm-hmm. they, they said, mm-hmm. that's the way we do things around here. And that's where we're going to do this. 
Okay, now, all right, here I do have this stat about the peop, uh, specific group of people uh, who rated the 917 as the greatest racing car in history. Oh, that good. was from the uh, British magazine Motorsport. And to get this list, they uh, asked 50 international motorsports experts. So that can be anything from analysts to engineers to drivers um, to heads of racing organizations. Yeah, and even after all that we've mentioned, mm-hmm. racers – you know, unquestionably at this point, say the 917 or 917 was one of the best cars they've ever driven, if not the best car they've ever driven. Yeah. And that's spanning the entire 42 years since. Now, stop me if I'm stealing your thunder. Mm-hmm. But the 917, okay, in addition to looking just so cool, mm-hmm. just so extremely cool. It really does. It, it, it works so well too, because not only did it win Le Mans in 1970, uh, it also won in 1971, and it also, uh, let's see, it set the uh, fastest ever victory at Le Mans. Did it really? Is that is that is that? Yeah, that makes sense. Like that? that makes sense. Well, it wouldn't be the fastest. It would be. Oh yeah, no, no, that's it, right. It, because it would be 24 hours, but I think that it covered the most distance. Mm-hmm. That's probably what mm-hmm. you're talking about. Yeah, because that's yeah. that's one of those weird races where. You're right. In, in most other races, it would be the fastest victory ever because, you know, that's the, the quickest time across the line. Yeah. In a 24-hour race, usually it's gauged by the distance traveled because how many laps can you do in that 24 hours? Oh, you know what? That's that's my error there. I apologize. The, the 917 scored the fastest ever victory at the French Classic. Oh, okay. That's what I meant. That Sorry about sense. that. I've got my, my – Oh, that makes that makes up. perfect sense. Yeah. You know, it, so oh, I've got some numbers for the 70-71 series. It. Okay. Yeah. If you remember, remember it came out mid-69 series. So 69 mm-hmm. was kind of a trial and error uh, period for it. But sure. um, in 19 – okay, for the 19 – between 1969 and 1971, and I say trial and error for 69, but we're still counting that, okay? Yeah. Uh, from 69 to 71, uh, the, the well, basically the 917 dominated the series because there were mm-hmm. 24 races, uh, 24 World Sports Car Championship races in that season, in those seasons. Uh, Porsche won 19 of those races, and 15 of those were in 917s. So 15. 15 of those wins out of, out of, you know, the 19 overall wins that they had out of 24 total races. So that's mm-hmm. incredible for a car that is brand new on the scene. Yeah. Especially a brand new car. Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't overemphasize that enough, I think. Yeah. And so then you get, you know, you, t- you mentioned, uh, Richard, Richard Atwood and Hans Herman. They took the, uh, the outright Le Mans victory. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now by, okay, by 1971, this is, you know, Porsche's, the best car on the track at this point. Yeah. And spider cars were also starting to be available where, you know, the, these are the open cockpit cars. Uh, so you got the 917 spiders. Uh, but by 1972, um, the FIA changed the rules in the series. And here's the problem. That made the Porsche 917 obsolete, basically, mm-hmm. uh, because the engine size was now limited to three liters. Right, and as you'll recall, it was previously at five liters, so they were able to scoot in at four point five. That's right, and now see they they do this often. This happens when someone starts to just run away with the series. That you know, there's three mm. years in a row where this is just on top. They say, Let, "Well, we've got to adjust this to make it a fair, an even playing field for everybody, or closer to even." Yes. Um. So, you know, this rule change basically took Porsche out of the game in the World Sports Car Championship at that point. Yes. Uh, but. Ben, yeah. it went on to live another life. Tell us about that other life, Scott. <laughs> this is this is where the Porsche 917 came into the Can Am Can Am series in America. And what's 
interesting about the Can-Am series, and this mm-hmm. is one of those series that has a, a long, um, I don't know, it's kind of, it's almost like a tall tale type history, Ben. Yeah, it's a storied history. And, uh, just so for everybody's information, we're talking about the Canadian American Challenge Cup. Yeah, that's right. And this is a series where for a long time, you know, turbo cars were allowed. Yeah. Um, you know, you get drivers like Hurley Haywood and Mark Donahue, um, just outstanding. They both drove for Porsche, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, these cars are incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible to look at these, these early 1970s Can-Am cars because, mm-hmm. Um, just for example, the 91710 that we're, we're talking about here, when it came to, this is the 91710, there's a 91730, there's, you know, yeah. other, other versions. Um, 1,150 horsepower, Ben. Oh, uh, yeah, beat me to it, man. I, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm... it's incredible. Incredible. I mean, this is, and that was a car driven by, um, Hurley Haywood who drove for, uh, Brumos. And this is in the 70s. In the sev- early 1970s, driving an 1150 horsepower car in the Can-Am series. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the car is basically a wing, you know, holding itself to the ground really is what it, what it's designed to do. Yeah. Um, and they say that, you know, the, of course, Mark Donahue drove for, um, Sunoco. Mm-hmm. You'll see him, uh, often in a, um, a dark blue and yellow car, Sunoco car, you know, the Sunoco colors. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he crashed and died sometime in the seventies also. Um, I, you know what? I met his son, uh, when Did I worked you? for Chrysler. Yeah. His son ro- raced in, um, they called it the North American Super Touring Car Series. Uh huh. And at the time when I worked at Chrysler, I was doing some, you know, like, uh, video for the, uh, the, the internal sure, video yeah. department. And his son, uh, David Donahue, raced in the North American Touring Car Championship. And he still races. He does other things. I don't know what series he's in right now. Wow. Do you know what they, what he's driving? Uh, he was, well, at the time he was driving a Stratus, a Dodge mm-hmm. Stratus. They had a, a Stratus team. And, uh, anyways, real nice guy. But, um, the, the, uh, his dad, his dad was Mark Donahue. And mm-hmm. the parent, apparently the 91730 was even, he said it was way faster, much faster, really, than the uh, than the Hurley Haywood one uh, car from Brumos, which is the nine seventeen ten. Mm-hmm. That, that one had eleven hundred and fifty horsepower. So you can imagine what these cars are doing, right? Yes, incredible, incredible. So <laughs> Haywood says, uh, you know, as as fun as it was to drive, because he said it was a thrill a minute. Mm-hmm. He said it was an absolutely brutal car to drive, also. So you get this, you get this uh, again, back and forth. You know, it was unsafe. Yeah. Sort of because of the speed and the horsepower. He said it was extremely twitchy, um, because, you know, it was just so powerful that you, you know, you came out of a turn, you had no idea which way it was headed. Um, <laughs> he said that was, that made it a little frightening, you know, coming mm. out of turns again, the, the, uh, the, you know, the fear factor, I guess, in this. Yeah. Um, and it, he just said it said it had so much horsepower and the acceleration was just so, um, well, I just keep saying it, but it was brutal. It was brutal yeah, acceleration. It's he intense. said it, it would hurt almost. And this, that's a, Really good point when you're going that at that speed, the slightest touch on the steering wheel will immediately translate to perhaps an unintended uh change in the car's oh, position. Oh, sure. Skid, yeah. Got, yeah. I mean, you have no idea how just, a, a, like you said, a twitch of the wheel mm-hmm. uh, can cause you to head right off track. So, you know, something like this where it's uh, – I'm sure there's a ton of torque steer on it and, you know, they were – and, and this is according to, you know, uh, the drivers themselves. They yes. said that the suspension was softer than, um, and I'm not sure if that's true in the Can-Am series, but I know that, I know that in the World Sports Car Championship, they said that it was a softer suspension than they have now. 
mm-hmm. because that's the way all the cars had back then. They weren't quite as stiff as the race cars are now. I see. And uh, so it, it leaned a little bit, and it was a little bit scary, you know, in the turns that, you know, it mm-hmm. slide out on you a little more. Mm-hmm. But um, this one, it, also the 91710 was a shorter wheelbase. And uh, that just gave it a rougher ride to begin with. So um, Hurley Haywood, he had a, he had a rough uh, rough go of it there with that. So yeah. But anyways, it, it, this is kind of the wrap up of the whole thing here. But mm-hmm. the nine seventeen, again, Ben, this is uh, here's what happened. It dominated the series again. Yes. So it gives you an idea what kind of car it is. It dominated the Can Am series from seventy two to seventy three. Um, in fact, so much so that the organizers banned turbocharged engines. So see, we're seeing this again, where they they adapt right. the series to uh, to take away the favorable the, characteristics of the one that's winning everything. The downside of overwhelming success. Exactly. So they changed the rules again, and, uh, and the rules then started to be. They took away turbos, so that you know drops it way down in horsepower. Can't compete. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of favored the older um, American stock V8 engines. Yeah. So that's pretty much where the uh, the nine seventeen history ends. Now one. Interesting thing that I, I think is interesting. Yeah. You know, oh, what, man, I can't believe we got all the way through this and someone will scream if we don't mention this. What? The whole movie thing with the Lamas. Oh, go for it. Um, you know, Steve McQueen, mm. he starred in one of probably his, I don't know, I would say defining role if, if it wasn't Bullet. Um, <laughs> you know, for, you know, cause he was a car guy, Steve yeah. McQueen. He starred in a movie called Lama and that was in 1971. And it was actually filmed during the 1970 Lama race. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of other stuff going on at the sure. same time, but it focused on him as a driver and the, the Porsche 917. So I figured we have to mention that at some point in this because that, that movie, if you want to get a real feel for what those sports cars were like at that time. What they're capable of. Definitely. Just watch, even if it's just YouTube clips or whatever, mm-hmm. but watch the whole movie. It's really cool. And Porsche, we should also mention, Porsche built uh, altogether about 65 units mm-hmm. of the 917. Yeah. Not not the biggest production. Uh Forty-four of those uh, sports cars as short and long tail models, mm-hmm. and then they've got uh, two spiders and nineteen uh, nineteen cars as Can Am and uh, Inter Series spiders, and those are the ones that have that really mean horsepower. And these are the works cars. These are the ones that came right from yeah. Porsche because there's there's a ton of replicas out there, mm-hmm. and the replicas, although beautiful, they just don't have the history of the uh, the authentic Porsche right, works cars, right. but. I tell you, I've seen some of the replicas too, and they're gorgeous. Some and, of them are really, really nice. And let's also let's also point out one interesting thing we covered in an earlier podcast. I'm just going to touch it on the way out of this one. Sure. Uh, we have a podcast from way back in the days of yore about the technologies that come from sports cars, mm, yeah, and make it to the road. And you know that those are things that a lot of people find amazing. I hope I wasn't the only one who did who did not know that the rearview mirror came from racing. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of that stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the technologies pioneered in the 917 later transfer to uh, the sports cars on the road, the street mm-hmm. legals. True. You know, one last little bit here about mm-hmm. the 917. Um, it, the thing is that it was it was tremendously popular in the United States. And that was Basically because, you know, the way it dominated the series in uh, the European series, mm-hmm. also when it came to the U.S. and it dominated again, it became this uh, this iconic car that people wanted to have and own. You know, the private series, private teams wanted to buy it and, and yeah. own it. And, it, you know, they changed hands often 
back mm-hmm. then because you know no one knew at the time you know these aren't going to who who knew in the 1970s that it was going to be multi million dollars for a race car like that now yeah. um it was just a race car to them sure uh, still it's a great race car but um yeah. so th- they were tremendously popular here in the United States and a lot of them um, ended up here and have stayed here, you know, and, and collectors and owners have, have stayed here. So you'll see a lot of these. If you go to historic events around, you know, like racing events, yeah. uh, Monterey Historics, or um, I know that when they have the Concours event up in Michigan, they have a historic racing day out at Waterford Hills. And that's the Concours d'Elegance. Yeah, exactly. Concours d'Elegance in, in uh, well, I think it's in Oakland Township, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um they have a historic racing day out at the local road racing course that I used to go to. And the Monterey, Monterey Historics, of course, that's a big one too. So, you know, when they have the, uh, the concourse event there, they match that with a historic race. And it's a perfect chance to see some of these things in action because where else are you going to see that? Yeah, this is not a daily driver. No, no, no. And they're beautiful. So, you know, get a chance to take a look around online, do a Google, Google search and, uh, and watch some of the videos because it's really, really impressive. And while you are doing that, we will entertain you with a little bit of listener mail. All right, Scott, this is a note from Matthias, who says, uh, big fan of your podcast. I want to write in with uh, kind of an addition to one thing and nitpick with the other. I'm going to read, I'm going to read this uh, really quickly. He listened to a red light camera podcast. He says, I just want to point out that there's a big issue that we didn't mention, which is in many places where red light cameras have been installed, yellow lights have been shortened or cameras fire too soon. In some of those cases, the yellow lights have been shortened to dangerously short times. One big contributing factor to this is that many cities contract red light cameras out to third parties, paying them a portion of the fines. Although the cities want red light cameras to reduce red light running, the contractor running the cameras wants as many tickets as possible so they get paid more. Hmm. So yellow lights are what, typically four seconds or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. Three seconds maybe? It's between three and five. Okay, so three and five. And uh, you're saying that at, at intersections with cameras, they shorten it to the shortest allowable time or even shorter? That that's uh yeah, that's what Matthias that's the, is saying. That's the claim, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see that happening. Because if they're paid per vehicle, per violation, you know, whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. um I could see that that happening. I mean who's gonna who's gonna sit there with a stopwatch, I guess, other than somebody who's been caught. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mr. V, I uh I have to agree with you and Matthias that the motivation is there, mm-hmm. but I don't I specifically do not know um, a case where I could name a company that was doing that yeah. or caught doing Neither it. Neither could I. Yeah. But, uh. Interesting point though. Yeah. Interesting point. And thanks for writing in, Matthias. We're going to go ahead and head out today. And we hope that you guys have enjoyed our look at the Porsche 917. I admit we both got a bit fanboy with it. Oh, sure. I love that one. I think it's completely appropriate. Yeah. I'm I hope. Okay. I have pictures yeah. of this thing on my desktop even. I hope uh, you guys have enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we've enjoyed doing it. And if you think that we're crazy and you have a car that you're an absolute fanboy about, tell us and we will maybe cover it in an upcoming episode. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We have a blog and we have a website you may have heard of called HowStuffWorks.com. And you know what? If you want to cut past the middleman and talk to us directly, send us an email at CarStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. 
Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you haven't heard, it's a good idea to fit probiotics into your daily routine. Fortunately, Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls make that so easy. These adorable little pearls couldn't be easier to take, and they support both digestive and vaginal health, all because of the probiotics. There are actually one billion active cultures protecting against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort, all in one tiny little pearl. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com.